This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hardwood Knock Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, knows how to take a joke on Twitter and run with it, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We have a lot to get to today, so hello to everyone. We're going to talk about uh, the NBA Finals matchup between the Raptors and Warriors and then get into the New York Knicks's off-season slash long-term outlook. Before we do fire up everything, though, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. My impassioned on-my-knees plea right before the weekend resulted in some extra written reviews and ratings. We really appreciate it and would ask that you all keep those coming. We love to see those add up and trust Andy and I when we say we are in the comment section of these uh podcast pages on apple we we saw that someone wrote that they're really enjoying the team preview series so uh thank thank you to them and we will keep rolling them out we can also be found wherever else you consume your podcasts uh whether it's art 19 or blog talk radio google play spotify the whole nine yards there and finally if you haven't yet checked out the blue wire podcast network be sure to do so tons of great nba content over there a lot of NFL content, and they'll be expanding like, whoa, over the next few months. You can follow them over at Blue Wire Pods, so be sure to check out all the hardworking folks and their podcasts over there. With all that out of the way, we now ask Andy, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, excited to talk some NBA Finals and New York Knicks. It seems like those should always be in the same breath. Yeah, you know. Just Knicks haven't won a championship since like 1884 or whatever it was. I and still remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, but the actual NBA Finals, Warriors Raptors. Do you have actually? So I wanted to ask you this first about the fallout from the Eastern Conference Finals. Did you think uh, ESPN's Malika Andrews had the piece about if the Bucks make it to the NBA Finals next year? that it would go a long way towards Giannis signing his Supermax uh, five-year, $247.3 million extension that following summer. People were up in arms because it was clearly pre-written, came out basically right after the final buzzer, if I remember. Um, Giannis walked out on her question off the podium. Uh, I just wanted to know your impression on it. My nutshell one was I thought that most were just overreacting and there's this just I get that fandom can be I I love fans of specific teams so many of them listen to our podcasts I mean you're a fan of the jazz I, I used to be a fan of a certain team I never like to mention it people dm me sometimes by the way asking who my favorite team is because they don't they can't figure it out but um I get it but it just the rat the reaction just felt like irrational anytime something negative or like that goes happens pertaining to your team that you're automatically just there, there's an overreaction. I think the general response was that he built Giannis must have built up a trust with the with Malika Andrews, and then I saw the word betrayed thrown out, and I'm just like, we need to slow our roll there. Like this is part of the business, and I think when you read it, you could tell that those nuggets clearly came from his side anyway. And I just I have a hard time getting worked up about it. Is my point. Yeah, I I would basically echo everything you said. I don't. To me, it's not a huge deal. Um, maybe if Giannis actually feels betrayed, then you know I, I can't tell him how to feel. 
Um, but when you actually read the piece, it's not like it says he's going to leave if they don't make the finals. It just says that if they do, it increases their chances of signing him. Which has um, been implied. Just I was going to say, anyway. that seems like a no-brainer anyway. Uh, just just about any <laughs> big-name player is going to be more likely to stay on a team that he just made the finals with. Um, so I didn't think it was like this earth-shattering report. I also wasn't, you know, some people were mad um, about Giannis walking out. That I kind of get that, but I, I, I also wasn't terribly upset about that either. I think coming off of a, a series-ending loss and a series that they were supposed to win, I'm sure he was running on a little bit more emotion than he typically does. So, you know, maybe it's not an excuse to get up and walk out on a question like that, but it wasn't something I'm like, oh, I'm outraged that he did that. Um, r- really, there's no reason for outrage in any direction in this situation, in my opinion. No, I'm with you there, too. The, the Giannis walking out thing didn't bother me, although it was really funny. And Chris Middleton's reaction was low-key. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. The... the and the emotion thing's a good point, by the way, just because they had lost four in a row. Like that's that was like a like an ungentlemanly sweep, just because you were up to yep. it, and then you just got railroaded over the next. And they season. hadn't they hadn't lost three in even a row, three year. in a row all season. Yeah, uh, I remember that stat being thrown around. So it was this was uncharted territory for this particular Bucks team. The Raptors Warriors feel like that matchup feels like uncharted territory too. Yeah. They, just because they played two really good games um, during the regular season, the Raptors um, won both and killed them in one of them. But they neither team was ever at full strength for both of them. Um, you had in the in the first meeting, the Warriors did not have Stephen Curry or Draymond Green, I believe. Yeah, they didn't have Stephen Curry or Draymond Green. Um, the Raptors did have Leonard Lowry, uh, Siakam, and then in the second game. Uh, you had the Warriors basically at full strength, Noe Godala, and then Toronto did not have Leonard. And then Mark Gasol wasn't involved in any of these games. So it's it's almost like a whole new matchup. Um, and I I think it's going to be a good series, but I also think it has the potential to be a very quick one where it's, I could easily see this becoming a classic one, like where maybe Raptors and Warriors just really fight it out for six or seven games, particularly with the Kevin Durant injury, knowing that he's going to miss game one. And as of Monday, they weren't sure if he was even going to travel with the team to Toronto. At the same time, there still is that element of look at how much energy and force and will Leonard had to expend to bring the Raptors here. And what if the Warriors just railroad them and win in five? I wouldn't be stunned. Um, I think my sort of uh, go like my my basic pick for the last few days has been Warriors and six, um, because I do think that this team poses some problems for them. Uh, Kawhi Leonard does have some experience taking down juggernaut, juggernauts. Uh, after all, he was the 2014 Finals MVP, and I think he's probably better offensively now than he was then. And as we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals, he can still get to a ridiculous level on defense, too. Um, However, the Warriors, the thing about that Blazers series that was so fun to me, and this isn't, you know, anything terribly original, but it was like the 2015-16 Warriors were back, or the 2014-15 Warriors. Um, and I don't I as good as Toronto is defensively, especially in that Eastern Conference Finals, I don't know if there's a defense on earth that can really frustrate the Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson centric offense. Um my my sort of uh the way I've settled on the Kevin Durant thing over the last couple of weeks is they are at a certain level with him. They are barely below that without him. And then they're at a level quite a quite a ways below those two when Durant plays and Curry does not. Um, so I, I still think they are an absolutely ridiculous team, even if he's not healthy, because I don't think there's a huge step back without him. I actually think the the biggest way that he helps in this series is on defense, because um, they they're, they're going to need as many big, long, athletic players to throw at Kawhi as possible. I think Draymond Green will get 
his turns. I think Clay Thompson will get his turns on him. Andre Iguodala will probably spend a decent amount of time on him. Um, so they they have bodies that they can sort of throw at Kawhi, but it would certainly help to have Durant. Um, I His offense, while it would probably help, it, if you become stagnant against this Raptors defense, that could be problematic too. So I, I don't think it's like – I think most people are probably picking the Warriors, and I don't think it's like a death knell that they don't have Durant. I mean, he's incredible offensively, especially in this postseason. He was averaging 34 points before he got hurt, almost 66 true shooting. So it's kind of crazy for me to say that he might not help the offense. Uh, But I think against this Raptors defense, which has just been so good throughout the playoffs, you need as much ball and player movement as possible. And they're going to have that when they're playing this old style of theirs. I think where Durant could also be missed is that it makes the Warriors, like, just because I feel like the Raptors have so much defensive talent that it then lets them play the matchups a little bit better. Yeah. Like, by by virtue of not having Durant on the floor, Kawhi Leonard's going to have the option of, you know, do you put him on Draymond Green or maybe do you even put him on Andre Godala and just let him float around the half court a little bit more since you're already going to have, you know, Curry... And Clay handled between Lowry and Danny Green, and you can have Siakam go on Green. So you can have one of those guys just float and take more chances around the half court. It also makes it more likely, in my opinion, albeit not impossible, that Marcus Saul doesn't get played off the floor if Kevin Durant's not there, because the Warriors, I would think, are not going to lean on Draymond Green at the five lineups then as much. And then if Boogie comes back in Game Two and Kevin Durant's not there yet, that that in theory makes it even a little bit better. Uh, for the Raptors, for the way, for them to run their rotations. It's just, I can't, I almost feel like if the Raptors don't win games one and two, though, then the series is just over. Yeah. Is in that, I'm not even, t- maybe Durant comes back and plays game two. I just don't, I, I'm so, it's not even a lack for respect for the Raptors. Like, their supporting cast came on towards the end of the Eastern Conference Finals. Marcus Gasol looked a little bit more aggressive. Serge Ibaka made really big plays on defense. Fred Van Fleet shot to hell out of the ball. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're. I think they're deeper than the Warriors. You give the edge to their bench right now. I just, if Kevin Durant's going to come back and I don't know if he's going to be able to recapture form because it sounds like he hasn't even restarted on court activities just yet. And so if he comes back, it might be sort of this cold start or coldish start. But again, unless his absence spans through at least game two and the Raptors are going to take both of those games, I find it really tough to believe that they'll win this series. And that's just not any disrespect to them. It's just to, it's more about how good the Warriors are in general with, with or without Durant. Are you with me and thinking it would be crazy to try to bring cousins back at all? I just don't, I don't think best case scenario. I don't think he helps you. Worst yeah. case scenario. <laughs> I think he ends up hurting you. Yep. And they spent all season trying to, not all season, but the last half of the season when he came back from the injury, trying to make it work. And it never really seemed to click. Um, and to try and make it click in the finals just seems like probably not an advisable path. Um, if if Durant comes back, that's obviously a no-brainer. I mean, whatever, they, whatever chemistry they stirred up in the Blazers series uh, isn't going to be destroyed by having Durant, one of the greatest offensive players of all time. But for – I was going to say for whatever reason. I think I know the reason. Boogie just doesn't really fit on this team. They already have enough mouths to, to feed, so to speak. They don't really need um, – you know, a lot of people were saying it would be nice for them to have the wrinkle to be able to – to throw it into the post and get a bucket that way every once in a while. But I'm starting to think like how many teams actually need that wrinkle of the 0.95 points per possession out of the post. Um, It's, it's, it's almost a dinosaur. I understand a lot of people say, yeah, it kind of softens up the defense inside. It, it makes you respect the pain a little bit more and that opens things up in the three point line. And I think there's probably some truth to that in some circumstances, but if you're a team that already has Durant and Curry and Clay Thompson, I, I don't think you want anyone in the post really taking possessions away from those guys. Maybe he helps you if, I I don't know if this is a stamina thing or a preference thing, but I don't, is Kavon Looney allowed to play more than, you know, 28 or 29 minutes? Yeah. I feel like he, he hasn't cracked a 30 minute mark yet 
this playoffs. I'm actually looking up right now whether he cracked 30 minutes. No, he's never. He didn't play more than 30 minutes. Uh, 29 51 was his longest regular season outing. And so if you if you are trying to keep Draymond Green away from the center position, and you don't have Durant, maybe that's one of the reasons you're trying to keep Draymond Green away from the center position. Then he can help you by logging small spurts there. But I, I tend to think that you're right, and it's just. You know, if Boogie was fully healthy and they had the entire season or maybe just a training camp to go through, fine. But now he's working off another injury. I never thought he would return to the rotation before Kevin Durant, but it seems like there's a definitive possibility that that's exactly what happens. I have a hard time thinking that he makes a a huge difference, really, either way for them. And it, it will be interesting, though, if the Warriors, uh, excuse me, the Raptors start taking advantage of the minutes that he's on the court. You know, if they, if if he's getting really just torched by Mark Gasol because Gasol's operating exclusively from beyond the arc, mm-hmm. um, do do the Warriors pull him? Like, are are they worried about not the optics there, but maybe Boogie's reaction? I I probably wouldn't worry about it as much because he seems to have been a trooper this year through and through, and probably understands the deal. I'm just coming off another injury, not really having a ton of reps to begin with in uh, within this team. It's just I. Uh, I don't think he's going to help them. There's yes, I do think there's the potential that he ends up hurting them. Do you know what Kev, Kevon Looney's uh, net rating swing is this this postseason? Postseason and the swing, yeah. I'm going to say it's a 17. Pretty close, plus 18.4. Wow, <laughs> he's been really, really good for them this postseason. He was good for them in the regular season too. His his assist rate in the regular season was a, a lot higher than I would have expected. Um, average three assists per 36 minutes. That's down a little bit in the playoffs, but he's been fantastic defensively for them. Um, finishes around the rim now, I think a lot better than he did in the past. I, When you have that option to go to, um, that makes it even more difficult to go with Boogie because he's a guy who will do everything you need him to do without taking possessions from those um, all-time great offensive players. So... But he's it is better at hanging he, in space in general too. Boogie, yeah, Boogie sure. isn't gonna, you know, switch on to guards and and be okay. Yeah, that's crazy that he never played thirty minutes all season, um, and it, that probably won't happen in the finals either. There's there's uh, a lot of different options that Kerr seems to sort of throw in at center. Didn't he even start Damian Jones a game at center recently? Yeah, I mean Jordan Bell cracked the rotation towards the end of that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> So all, all kinds of stuff going on there. The thing too, so Kevon Looney though, you're, you're definitely you're losing rebounding when you play him at the five. And so for during the regular season, I looked this up before the playoffs started. The Warriors' defense actually wasn't good when Draymond Green and Kevon Looney played without Kevin Durant. That those tables have just completely turned in the playoffs. In the time that they've played without Kevin Durant, the Warriors have. Oh no, it hasn't turned. The Warriors are still. I have a defensive rating of one eighteen point one, and so that's always been interesting to me. I'm sure a big part of it's the rebounding. They're in the second percentile of defensive rebounding um, when those two play without Kevin Durant. But he just does so many other things that you can almost live with it. And the Warriors' offense, they're still net plus in those minutes. Their, their offensive rating is one twenty three point four. But when you have you know the third guy is going to be in the front court is going to be Iguodala or Alfonso McKinney your rebounding is just not going to be good. That I think that's a sacrifice that you ultimately have no issue with. Just because, again, like you said, he does all the dirty work without needing to commandeer any of, of the offensive possessions. Is I wonder the- who they – I was just going to say, I wonder who they will start at the five. It probably doesn't matter. I mean, like we just said, they've thrown a few different guys in there over the course of the postseason, and Looney hasn't started a single game in the playoffs, so – that's like uh, a, that's just got to be Steve Kerr just preferring to run it that way. I mean, because clearly you would think that he, if you were going to run out your five best players, I don't know if he was trying to get ready in anticipation of DeMarcus Cousins' return or something. I don't know why you wouldn't start him, though. I don't, I don't necessarily know. Yeah, why I don't either. I think even in the bench somehow. Bogut has started some games this postseason too, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone all over the map except for Looney. But again, it might not even matter. I mean, this—it's um, kind of funny that we've sort of devolved into Kevon Looney talk, well, if the, you want to call it that. Because I think that ties into who's your each team's X factor for this. Okay. Season. Yeah. 
Um, so I think for the Warriors, it might be Iguodala because I think he's probably going to spend a ton of time on Kawhi. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that <laughs> all these Michael Jordan comparisons to Kawhi this postseason, I, I think there's a little bit of something there. I mean, stylistically, some of those sort of shimmy and fadeaway jumpers look very much like Jordan. Um, the the offensive dominance has just been ridiculous. He's he's carrying that team. I mean, they had a lot of different guys step up in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think you beat the Bucks without that. But there have been stretches of this postseason where Leonard has just looked unreal, like the best player in the league. Um, and and that it helps that LeBron's not playing in the playoffs um, if you're going to get those sort of descriptions. But they're going to need people, again, like I said earlier, to throw at him. And I think the one who might have the best chance of sort of frustrating him is uh, Andre Godala. And we've seen him do it in the finals before. Um, and, and frustrate is a term that you use loosely when you're applying it to LeBron James. But he did have some nice you know, individual possessions and stretches against LeBron over the last few years. And I think he'll probably relish the chance to do it to Kawhi Leonard too. So I think Draymond and Clay, they'll all get their shots at him. But I I think their best chance at really slowing down Kawhi is going to be Andre Iguodala. In the one game that they, he played against Kawhi, he, they, the Warriors went with Kevin Durant over Iguodala. It was Durant defended Kawhi for 50 possessions. Clay had him on tw- for 26, and Iggy had him for four. I don't but know. Durant, if, I, I don't know Durant's if Draymond obviously Green, not going to be there. I don't know if Draymond Green's absence changed that at all. So, uh, yeah, I would think that Iguodala definitely picks up the slack in the meantime. So that'll be – but Leonard is just – he's been absolutely absurd. He's shooting – 50% on pull-up two-pointers, and this is still after shooting 37.5% on pull-up twos against the Bucks, or 37.3%, excuse me. So he's just been absolutely out of this world for the Raptors. Even those two games where it was his, I can't remember what it was, his right leg, uh, left leg, whatever the injury, where yeah. he wasn't taking off as well. He just still I, just had, I think, at least one really good game, and he was fine defensively. So they're going to have... A, a tough task keeping him in check. And I'd probably agree that Iguodala is a good pick for an, an X factor. I might say Kavon Looney because just for the Warriors, just as we all, for everything we were saying before, and he's probably, I don't know that he could play Mark Gasol off the floor, but if you're going to have a chance to do that without Kevin Durant, the, the Draymond Green, Kavon Looney front court is going to be big to maybe try and dictate, dictate terms when it comes to Toronto's rotation. I feel like the Raptors' X factor is, a little bit harder to single out. I kind of want to say Norman Powell almost just because mm. of some of the defensive assignments he's going to have to pick up. And he's such a roller coaster offensively. He's, he hit some big threes in that series, but he was all like every game. It was just like his shot selection was just YOLO and it, it wasn't always pretty. <laughs> uh, but I, I also, with the way Fred Van Fleet's been playing and if you, and the way that he can play, I don't know that you want to see him go against Courier slash Thompson, but with the way Danny Green's been shooting, and I, I know you can't you can't afford to make the call that you did towards the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, where Nick Nurse essentially viewed Green as unplayable almost, because you're going to need his defense against Golden State's backcourt, but are there going to be times maybe if Green's not making his shots that you try and get away with Van Fleet and Lowry in the half uh, in the backcourt? That might be an interesting question. Or you could flip that script and just say, well, Danny Green's then an X factor because he's been shooting so poorly. He's going to put the Raptors in these awkward situations if his shots aren't going down. Yeah, my uh, my first thought on this was Fred VanVleet. Um, the four games that they won consecutively against the uh, Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, he averaged six point three three point attempts per game and hit him at sixty percent and averaged 12.8 points, and that includes a game where he was bad. Um, The first of that four-game win streak, he was one for 11 from the field and one for eight from three for three points. Um, So having him in the game, engaged, taking shots, and then for those last three games, making shots, I think was a huge difference. And especially in the – I think it was the – was it the last game that Kawhi had nine assists or was it the one before? Um I think it was the one before. I'll double check. He was right he was like his go to outlet um, off drives. I, I I believe he assisted on on 
Yeah, it was the second to last game because he assisted on four of the seven three pointers that Van Vliet hit in game five. Um, so having that extra guy to kick out to was very helpful in the in the games prior to those last four. So, again, the last four games, he averaged 12.8 points, shot 60 percent from three, averaged 6.3 three point attempts per game. The entire postseason before that, he was averaging 2.4 three point attempts per game, shooting him at 21.2 percent and averaging 4.1 points. Um, so here's a captain obvious moment, but it helps to have a guy shoot 60% from three as opposed to 21.2. Um, so if he can, (laughs) if he can continue to knock down threes, I think he'll be very helpful, obviously. But when you brought up Danny green, I thought maybe he's the guy who gives them, you know, that shooting outlet too. It seems like he's due for a breakout. And this is another guy that's had, massive performances in the finals in his career. So this is a moment that's probably not going to be overwhelming to him. And like you said, his three point percentage this postseason it's, it's 31.4. Um, and that seems like something that's just not going to hold. Eventually the the dam is going to burst on that and he's going to have one or two games where he hits five or six threes. Um, and, and just misses a couple. So I, I think the X factor for them is going to be ha- going to be to have basically anyone who can sort of feed off the Kawhi drives because he might be able to do it all himself in certain games against the Sixers or the Magic. Um, but it, it you can't beat this Warriors team with a one man show. So they're gonna they're gonna need somebody to step up and hit a bunch of shots for him. Siakam's kind of in the same boat there, just because he's not hitting his threes as much, uh, 31.5% from the corners, 29% from three overall in the playoffs. He's still finishing fine around the rim, so you do have to account for his just, you know, uh, drives if he's going to fake into straight line drives or he's shown that he can do some east and west stuff. But if the Warriors are allowed to, those are easy to plan against. If you're just going to give him the wide open three and then Danny Green's not hitting shots, that puts Kawhi Leonard in such an in compromising situation. Yeah, for sure. Who? What is your pick to win? Who is your pick to win this series, and who is your NBA Finals pick? The Finals MVP. Pick I'm. Uh, I am taking Warriors in six. Uh, I think Curry is the Finals MVP, and I don't think Durant or Cousins plays at all. Whoa! Wow! I would be borderline surprised if Kevin Durant doesn't play. Here, here's my reasoning for that. He's going to hurt takes... the team, so they're just going to keep him out. I guess. <laughs> this is a little bit conspiratorial, but let's say it takes him two or three games to get back, and it already looks like the Warriors have control of the series. And let's say he's already made up his mind anyway. Um, the, the, this is like ESPN morning show style, but <laughs> maybe he sees that and thinks, why – I don't that it's it's all about free agency at this point. That I'm just gonna leave it at that. I cannot if he's ready to go, I cannot see him not playing. Here's it so my my picks are actually the same as yours. So I don't even want to talk about them. I'm I'm just mad that you had the same one. There's a chance I would have went Warriors in five if Kevin Durant was healthy. I'm not not gonna lie there. But I think the Raptors are gonna get at least one of the first two games because yeah, I, I, I think don't so expect too. Durant to play in either of them. And then I, I think they'll be able to steal one more, at least against the full strength Warriors. I'm hoping for seven though, and it would be it would be it would be absurd if the Raptors won the championship and Durant didn't play. Because does that make it more likely that Durant doesn't leave in free agency? Because all of yeah, a sudden, I keep it's, thinking about all these. Me. Yeah, I keep thinking about all these different scenarios like that too. Like which ones make it more likely that he leaves? Which ones make it more likely that he stays? Uh, which ones make it less likely that he stays? Um, there's there's all these different ways to think about it, and it's interesting to have such a big free agency question looming over the finals because in the past it was like the teams that are in the finals are pretty much going to come back the same as they are, and this is this is so much different than previous finals because it's not just Durant either. There's there's the Kawhi Leonard question looming over this series too. Did you see that video of his sister after the Eastern Conference Finals that everybody was reposting on Twitter? Um, I actually didn't watch it. I just saw the the captions basically that said that somebody in the background said he's going to L.A. anyway. Um, so <laughs> to have two of maybe the two best players 
in the finals, both um, assumed by many to just be leaving this summer is very interesting. It's it's uncharted territory for the NBA Finals. There's I don't want to I, I know people have been sort of rankled by the playoffs turning into a free agency fest. Which yeah. I, I t- if you're fans of the teams, I I totally get. Though I think Warriors fans might be more indifferent to it than the Raptors fans, just because everyone's just expecting Leonard to leave. Still, I'll say two things. If I had to pick right now where Leonard's going to be next season, it would be Toronto. And two, if he leaves, he was never coming back to the point that yeah. they reached this season. I know he had to do a crap ton to get to the NBA Finals but they were able to rest him throughout the regular season. So they were at least good enough to do that. And this was year one. And they essentially turned over their roster twice because you had to get Kawhi and then you acquire Marcus all. And there was, you didn't really have the same time or grace period with Leonard because of his quad injury from last year for most of the season, including the playoffs, he's existed just outside their offense. And it looks a little bit more, organic one because Marcus Gasol's there and he does a good job moving the ball, but mostly because in the playoffs it has to be Kawhi Leonard. So that's why it just seems a little bit more natural. But if he reaches this point in year one, I I don't think you can convince me that there is a better basketball situation out there for him. And they all have a ton of cap space in 2020 with all the money that's coming off the books. They have OG Ananobi, who would have been huge for them in this series if he were healthy. Uh, they have Pascal Siakam. The future there, if he stays, is super bright. And on the flip side, though, does if the Raptors lose, does it help the Lakers' recruiting pitch from LeBron to Leonard at all? Because now it's like you know how hard it is to beat the Warriors on this stage. And not that Kawhi hasn't faced the Warriors before because the Spurs played them plenty of times in the Western Conference, but to experience them in the finals and know how difficult it is to beat them, does it make – the Lakers, even to other free agents, just a more attractive destination. If it's just reinforced that, look at how damn hard it is to beat these guys. Yeah, I think it could. Um, we had that report a few months ago that he doesn't want to play with LeBron, but yeah, like we had you the said, report that LeBron's already <laughs> recruited. I think Kyrie, Kawhi, and Jimmy Butler and were the names. Butler, yeah, and and yeah, and like you said, maybe um, maybe coming face to face with the Warriors juggernaut changes his opinion on that or sways it to to some degree um this i think this offseason is going to be really interesting for the lakers to see just how true some of those mid-season reports were that was a big talking point for a little bit that young guys don't want to play with lebron anymore and uh it'll be interesting to see if that actually holds um this offseason when the lakers are making their pitches to guys so, yeah, I don't. I I still think that Kawhi goes to the Clippers. I don't. I don't for whatever reason, I think he's going to L.A. And I actually, one of the one of the partners in our law firm is born and raised in Los Angeles. And every time I say that, he goes, "No way! A kid who grew up in L.A. Uh, if he wants to go back to L.A. for basketball, is going to go play for the Lakers." Um, because there's you know there's obviously just more of a connection to the locals with the Lakers than there is with the Clippers. Right. Um but we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I maybe I just sort of dug my heels in a couple months ago and and decided for myself that Durant's going to be on the Knicks and Kawhi's going to be on the Clippers and there hasn't been a lot that's come out since then that's really swayed me from that, but the fact that both of them are in the finals is just Really, really interesting. Um, I, it'll be crazy if you, well, 10 years ago, it would have been crazy if either one of them left after making the finals. But nowadays, it's really not. <laughs> um, and you mentioned basketball situation earlier, too. And, and when's the last time we saw like a big name free agent go full basketball? fit. I think Greg Monroe a few years ago was like the, that was the pick for this question. Um, back when Greg Monroe was, like was a, a lifetime ago. And that was yeah. 2015. <laughs> back when he was a big free agency get, and now he's, he's barely hanging on to a spot in the NBA. Um, has there been anyone since that? I mean, the LeBron James Lakers decision was as anti-basketball situation as it gets. Millsap to Denver, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good call. Yeah. And he and and he was a big name free agent because he signed for what like three years and ninety. Thirty million. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's big. And you can't really just because the market. I know Boston never really got big time free agents before that, but Al Horford slash Gordon Hayward. That doesn't really. It's not. I think I'll count Horford. Hayward seems like that was more of the Stevens connection to me. True. But yeah, that that is basketball fit. So I don't even know I would make that distinction. But yeah, so uh, both of us have uh, Warriors in six. The people, most people will typically call that the coward's pick, but I think it's a fair pick <laughs> when Kevin Durant is injured and we don't know when he's going to play. I'm rooting for seven games of absolute chaos, though. Yeah, it would be fun. Oh. This, this has been a really fun postseason to watch, so oh, the more the better. The only question I had, how many games does Kevin Durant need to play in to, to beat out Stephen Curry for finals MVP? If he misses the first two, is there a chance that he still wins it? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm with you. If, and if it's like a six game series, then, um, yeah, I think I think he's got to play. I think he's got to play more than that. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. On that note. We move to the completely opposite end of the spectrum to talk about <laughs> the New York Knicks. The uh, Their offseason outlook is – I don't want to say I was not looking forward to tackling them. It's just that it's so rooted in free agency that it's tough yep. to make sense of what's – like what they do beyond that. Um, anyway, though, 17-65 and 65 season, everything with them starts with – their cap space. Uh, after winning the third pick, I know that people were disappointed. Fans were disappointed that it wasn't Zion. Naturally so. It's con- The third pick is considered the R.J. Barrett pick in a three-player draft. I I am not an R.J. Barrett fan, but I recognize that he might be, if you're going to use the f- third pick, he's probably the player that you need to take. The order of events for them matters though but with that third pick salary cap hold what they can effectively do is you have you uh renounce all your other free agents you're gonna have noah's hold if you want to keep alonzo trier team option and damian dotson is not guaranteed salary you sign kevin durant and then you fall within two hundred thousand dollars of kyrie irving's max salary so you're not quite there you need maybe both of them to shave a little bit off the top but you you basically now have the path to the two max stars that you want. You can sign two Kyrie level max stars if you want it to be Kyrie and Jimmy Butler or Kyrie and Kawhi, though I don't think Kawhi ends up considering the Knicks at all. So they have that money. All we've heard for most of the years that Kevin Durant is coming to the Knicks, I think for close to half the season, the prevailing assumption might be too strong a phrasing, but there's been strong stances in favor of or in prediction of Kyrie leaving the Celtics to go to the Knicks. I know the Lakers and Nets have now been sprinkled in there. My question to you to start this whole thing off, because it is the basis for the Knicks' entire offseason. <laughs> are they getting two stars, one stars? Which stars are they getting? If you were to predict, what is the outcome to them having this cap space? So... Uh... I have a question for you before I answer that. How much is Lance Thomas guaranteed for? It's all non-guaranteed. Okay, so they can wipe the whole thing out? Yeah, by a certain date. I think it might be a partial guarantee after that, but if you waive him, I think it's before June 30th. It's fully okay. non-guaranteed. So even if they waive that, they're still two hundred grand short? Yes. Okay. Um, now, to answer your question, and like you said, that might not be a huge difference if you ask both of If they really want to play with each other and you ask both of them to – to shave a hundred grand off their first year salary. I think they'll probably be okay with it. Um, and if they're not, that's when you look at the point of, they already want to trade Frankie Lakina. Can you turn him into a, a cheaper player that makes up that difference? Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe there's a team out there who's um, rebuilding that thinks maybe we can, maybe we can make something out of this kid. I, <laughs> like I said earlier, for whatever reason, I just kind of decided that Durant was going to the Knicks. Um, and it still seems like that's probably what's going to happen. And 
I'm a little bit less confident in this one now, uh, now that the fact that we've seen LeBron and Kyrie hanging out in Los Angeles. Um, but I still think it's going to be Durant and Kyrie on the New York Knicks taking up whatever percentage of their cap that that is and, and just having to round out the roster with uh, the number three pick, uh, minimum salaries, uh, mid-level exception. Um, but I think, I think they're going to get both of those guys. And the thing that I was thinking about this morning is, <laughs> even though I just said I think they're getting both of them, what do the Knicks do if they just strike out? Well, we're gonna have agency? to we're gonna have to get to that, but that's <laughs> that. I think that's gonna have to come in just a few minutes. If you sign both those guys, and it'll be sixty five percent of the cap they'll take. Okay. Up. So if you sign those guys, there's no way that they're keeping the number three pick, is there? Well, okay, that was another that was another thing I just thought about. Um, do they package RJ Barrett to to try and get another? I don't know. They what what exactly is RJ Barrett's trade value going to be? I wonder. It helps that this is considered a three player draft, and he's one of the three players. And yeah, I've been told sure. by people who are much more into college basketball than I have seen more of him that I need to watch more of what he did when Zion Williamson was out, and that he can be a, more of a playmaker. I just. His shot selection was so iffy, bonkers sometimes even. I just – and again, it, this would be – I didn't watch a ton of R.J. Barrett. Highlights and, and a few games. It just makes me – It's the third pick is an uncomfortable spot for me to be in because if I were them, I'd consider, I'd consider trading out of it. Like would you do R.J. Barrett, number three, to Atlanta for eight, ten, and Torian Prince? And maybe if you needed like seconds or whatever to make that work. I think that would be more interesting than some of the deals that I mean, I think most people are probably thinking about trading number three in some fashion for like a bigger name. Um, well, who's the bigger name? It's well, I was, I was going to say that's to me, that's maybe even more difficult than what you just laid out. You still get help on rookie contracts that way. Um, and then you get Torian Prince, who I think can be a really helpful player in that situation. Uh, he, he's, he was probably asked to do a little too much at times with Atlanta, but we saw stretches of him where he was very, very good at the end of the 2017, 18 season, particularly, I don't remember exactly what his numbers were, but he ran off a a stretch for the last few weeks of that season. Um, they were strong enough for me to predict him as most improved player this past (laughs) season in that it was, it was eye opening. I'm trying to find sort of. He just when can't. It, started, it was for I just like randomly picked his last sixteen games in that season. He averaged twenty one points, five rebounds, and four assists, and shot almost forty percent from three over that stretch. So if he's like your, if he's your third or fourth guy after those two offensive superstars, um, that's a really interesting role for him. And maybe somebody like that makes more sense than trying to figure out the cap. Um, gymnastics to get anthony davis which is what most people are doing like how do we get three stars to the knicks yeah the, i i agree with that i think Torian prince was just asked to do too much i talked to this about jeff siegel on the hawks uh, outlook podcast and it's just he turns the ball over a ton and pick and rolls and you can't you don't need to trust him as a playmaker if he's that fourth guy then it's fine and it's also i think some of it's skewed because a lot of people thought maybe he'd be able to play small ball four and he's just not going to be able to defend those spots, if you need him as just a spot of three point shooter, though, he's a six foot eight inch wing and you can have him mm-hmm. across twos and threes. The Anthony Davis gymnastics, though, if you get into them, unless the Knicks are going to absorb him into cap space, it gets really difficult. They need to send out, let's say they sign Kyrie and Kevin Durant because the dream is to have Kyrie, KD, and AD. They need to send out almost $21.6 million in money. That is absurdly difficult to do. Yeah, which they do they even have that much they to do. trade they, out? They they basically have to trade their entire team. It's, <laughs> and I'm not And who much. wants that? I mean, I it's it's hard to find a team that's gonna want to take all those salaries. I guess you could parse it out and send it to multiple teams, but Right. There's it's just to give this isn't the package, but just to give you a snapshot of it. That if you were to you Neil Aquina, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox and the number three pick don't even add up to the amount of salary that you need. Wow. 
So that's just, and I don't even think that that's that attractive of a package either. And that's where you get into this weird situation of how much are you willing to give up for Anthony Davis then. So it's, you would have to give up like five guys. And at that point, Mitchell Robbins, plus picks, you have to give up those Dallas picks. Maybe you're looking at the Knicks' future picks. Their best case scenario to me would be it costs you the third pick, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., and then you give them the the pick of who they want, two of the other three guys, plus picks, and you get to keep Mitchell Robinson, though. That's like the most ideal outcome. And I'm not saying you don't do that if you get those three guys, but it's you're dealing with a skeleton crew supporting cast then. You'll have your room exception, and then you'll have to sign everybody else at these baseline levels. And that's I, not – if you can do it, I guess you do it. I just don't – it's – because it's it's Anthony Davis. It's, and it'd I was going to – yeah. It'd be having three active top ten players on the same team with Kyrie Irving being the only debatable one in that category, and I think you can safely say he's top 12 at this point, just on an yeah. individual level. So I what what would your impressions be? You think they're getting KD and Kyrie. So are you do you go all in on the Davis plane? If you don't, there's not an alternative really either. Because one, what is the other superstar you're targeting? And two, you're gonna run into this same issue with everybody. Yeah, that's true. I think they'll probably at least test the waters. Um if they can get him without giving up Mitchell Robinson, I think you do that uh twenty times out of ten. Um because I, I feel like if I'm the Pelicans I am insisting on Mitchell Robinson. The, um, and it's the, the, my rebuke to that would be though. And I understand that if you're the Pelicans, Mitchell Robinson right now looks like the Knicks best prospect. Maybe you could say second best if you would just want to use the number three pick, but from the, from the Knicks perspective, you can't give up all of your best assets when it takes up your, it's not the Pelicans fault that that's your salary situation, but yeah, it was like the Lakers offer where they were willing to give you everything, but it didn't add up to what you could have gotten from yeah. the Celtics at the same time. If I'm the Knicks, like that has to be, if I'm going to give you four or five guys plus multiple future first round picks, I, I can't justify them giving up Mitchell Robinson. I, and I think that's understandable that, that at that point you really are getting into um, nothing but minimums and exceptions <laughs> at that point to fill out your roster. And that's a difficult thing to do. Um, but if I'm, if I'm New Orleans and I'm giving up Anthony Davis, I want one guy that I think has a chance to be really, really good. And I think that's Mitchell Robinson. Um, and if you're the Knicks, maybe <laughs> as crazy as this sounds, maybe it's better for an overall team building to hang on to Mitchell Robinson, go after somebody like Torian Prince, um, and then your starting front court is, you know, Durant at the four, Robinson at the five. That that has a chance to be really, really good anyway. Um, but I, I think back to what you said, if there's any way to get him without giving up Robinson, I think that is you pull the trigger on that right away. Uh, even if you are incredibly limited after that to fill out the rest of the roster, if you have those three guys, um <laughs> All three of them have had some interesting sort of locker room uh, potential issues over the last few seasons. So it might be kind of interesting to see them all on the same team and, and see whether or not any of that would creep up. But the the talent level with those three guys would just be uh, unreal. Um, is that is that more? I, I'm going to stop right there. I was going to ask if it's more talent than when the Warriors got their four together. Um, That's a negatory for me. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the natural just raw talent of Davis is is unreal. It's right up there with Durant for me. Um, so it's, it's a ridiculously talented group. Probably not as talented as the Warriors. You're right. Um, but, but certainly the most talented combination we have seen since then, if it happens. I mean, this is, this is very, very, very much a long shot. Very talented with questionable leadership. <laughs> that For sure. Would be, I want to yeah. know who's going to be the voice in yeah. the locker room. Now, <laughs> let's say the Knicks don't get – and do you think there's a scenario, actually, first question, where they get one star instead of two? 
I'm trying to think of who would come alone. I don't know why Kevin Durant would come alone. Even if he wants to build up his own thing, you don't want to do so while wallowing in first-round obscurity or maybe missing the playoffs next year yeah. altogether. And you're banking on Kyrie Irving leaving. You know, it didn't go smoothly in Boston, but they're a better situation than New York, and he'll have other options. Brooklyn, the Lakers. So I, I think it... Is it? It's all or nothing for them, right? Would be the prediction. I can't see them getting just one guy, unless that guy um, is their plan, like F, and they went into like the yeah, you know, the the one guy is maybe like Jimmy Butler or Kimball Walker or something, um, and that's almost that that to me. I mean, both of those guys are great individual players, but that's not a huge step above the striking out. <laughs> That I mentioned earlier, because if you if you have Campbell Walker and a bunch of um, I don't I don't even know how they would fill out the roster after that. Maybe you get a team that can compete to make the playoffs, but um, yeah, it seems like an all or nothing sort of a summer for the Knicks. I guess what you could also do is you sign one guy and then you're able to trade for Anthony Davis, take him into cap space, and that's when you build the offer around and just Robinson Knox, yeah. the third pick, and whatever other picks you need. Would you trade for Anthony Davis as the only star on this team? I don't think so. Because I I think the, the the thing about Anthony Davis is he seems like one of those guys who still does want to play with LeBron. Um, I don't, obviously, I don't know him personally, so I'm not getting any inf- information. But it's just those from the reports that we've seen. I still think even if he ends up on... Whatever team he ends up on this season, whether it's the Pelicans or somebody else, he's probably going to eventually be a Laker. Oh, wow. You don't think if he gets traded to the Knicks when they have Kyrie and Durant, he'll stay with the Knicks? Yeah, if, I mean, if they get the the miraculous three superstars in New York, then he probably stays. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen either. It'd probably behoove us to talk about the actual players on this roster. <laughs> um, I said that's why they're, they're, It's hard because who knows who they are. Right. I who do you have more faith in long term, Frank Nealakina, Dennis Smith Jr. or Kevin Knox? Um, probably Dennis Smith, and I'm not real high on him. Um, Kevin Knox still has like the physical profile that you would want out of a you know three four combo type of a forward. He he just had such a <laughs> such a terrible rookie season but I you know as you know I've said over and over and over that you can kind of throw out the first year maybe even two or three years with a player uh, when it comes to you know efficiency advanced numbers stuff like that so maybe you still err on the side of his physical profile his natural talent Uh, I think there's maybe a little bit of something there Dennis Smith has not been efficient either but I think I've seen I've, I've seen spurts from him that are encouraging um his his size is not encouraging. He's a guy. I think he has a negative um, wingspan to height ratio, which is never a, a good thing. He pl- he relies a lot on athleticism, and if that you know, as soon as that goes, maybe that's problematic. Um, and he he does have an ACL injury in his past, even though healing from those is not nearly as big a deal as it was 10, 15 years ago. So he's he's probably fine on that front. I. <laughs> And Nilakina, I don't, I don't, I have no idea what to expect uh, from him at this point. I mean, the fact that those are three of their main assets is pretty concerning for the Knicks because they are just major red flags with all three of them. I would lean toward Kevin Knox as the one I have the most faith in, and like you said, he has the physical profile. He has a nice floater, even though the percentages weren't always showing it um, in New York. He averaged more points per possession in the pick and roll than Dennis Smith Jr. last year was in the 64th percentile of pick and roll efficiency. So he, and I don't know what he's ever going to turn into defensively. Definitely has to get stronger if you want him to be that three, four type, but if you can continue to just give him more reps and maybe just with more consistency around him, uh, I feel like his outside shooting will end up improving that he'll be a guy you can trust at least to, you know what? If he's not going to be the guy who creates these or or hits these pull-up threes off the dribble, I think you can still trust him to hit uh, threes off the catch and not just in a, a regular season setting, that it can be in the playoffs too. That He's not someone that you're going to be able to leave unattended, even though, again, he was not great 
uh, off the catch uh, for during his rookie season. His effective field goal percentage in those situations was still a notch above 50, which isn't, again, it, it's not terrible, but it's also not great. I might lean toward Frank Nielakino over Dennis Smith Jr. Because I huh. can see him. Size. He, he Yeah, the length. And he can carve out a defensive wheelhouse. And I don't know what Dennis Smith Jr.'s wheelhouse is going to be. He's super athletic, but shooting under 60% at the rim for his career. Uh, he's fine as this standstill set shooter off of passes, but I don't know that you necessarily want him playing off the ball ever for that matter. At the same time, I don't know that he has like the the playmaking ceiling to run an offense full time in the half court in transition certainly but Kevin Knox can do that and so he seems to me more of a wild card than Frank Nielakino who I don't think has been given he's dealt with injuries in New York he hasn't been given the right opportunity his role has been inconsistent they favored Emmanuel Moutier over him and I think the some of the consensus coming out of New York at least from sectors of Twitter was that not reporters but fans that well Neil Akina didn't earn this opportunity. No, Neil Akina earned the opportunity by virtue of being young, long, and not having uh, a constant role. And so I feel yeah. like the Knicks have failed in his development. And I would be surprised if he's on the roster next season, whether or not they get Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Anthony Davis, wh- whatever happens. I don't expect Frank Neil Akina to be on the roster next year. Yeah, it sure seems like the writing's kind of on the wall. Um for that relationship. And I would love to see him uh, blossom somewhere else. His, his uh, career to me is very similar to Dante Exum's Um, great, great physical attributes, never really found um, a consistent role. I mean, Exum had to play behind Shelvin Mack. Um, Rough stuff. Yeah. Um, That maybe not Emmanuel Moutier, level but that's it's still it was very very strange so um both of those guys i love big point guards um guys who can essentially be classified as a point guard but can really play like one through three and i think both of those guys have that potential um so i i, I really hope nilakino wherever he ends up finds a way to make it work here in the nba the thing that we have to say i know you tend to throw I think a lot of people tend to throw efficiency out of the window for maybe up to the first two seasons. But Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith Jr., when you look at playing time and, and volume, otherwise Frank Nielakina would qualify, have two of the worst, least efficient uh, seasons in, in NBA history. There have been 719 seasons from a rookie or sophomore with a usage who qualify for the minutes per game leaderboard with a usage of above... 20%. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. and Kevin Knox rank out of those 719 seasons, 658th for Dennis Smith. That was his rookie season. And then Kevin Knox, this is obviously his rookie season, 648. They are, is where they rank in true shooting percentage. Wow. Yeah. So I think. Uh... Oh, and fun fact, by the way, because they also have him, Emmanuel, rookie season Emmanuel Moutier ranks 714th. Wow. That, yeah, that's crazy. So what what I usually say, and I just said it a few minutes ago, is you can kind of throw advanced numbers out the window for the first couple seasons. But if they are terrible, even within the context of other rookie seasons, that's a little bit more of a red flag, which is obviously the case with all three of those guys you just mentioned. Um, be, I mean, Kemba Walker was 683. There are some success rates, like Trey Burke was 700. Will Barton but was 715, so like maybe he's a success story. Alan Houston was 68. There are names. Jason Kidd was 672, and he improved as a shooter over the course of his career. But it's not it's not great company. No. Yeah, it's, that's uh, worrisome for sure. If they do strike out, do they just try to develop all these young guys? Yes, absolutely. I think that's when you look at either moving DSJ or moving down in the draft, though, because I don't know. I mean, you have Knox. And then you're going to have Barrett and Dennis Smith Jr. How does the offensive hierarchy work there? And then Alonzo Trier. Yeah. I think you probably still stick with R.J. Barrett, though. I would, um, Yes, I'm, I'm with you. But I would look at moving Dennis Smith. I know R.J. Barrett's not a point guard. You could try it, but I just don't. That's way too many mouths to feed without any of them yeah. being established. Yeah. And Barrett is a guy who um, 
in the college season clearly love to run the offense. So they'll they'll probably do a little bit of that with him as a rookie, at least a little bit. Um, so yeah, they might want to think about moving Dennis Smith in that situation. But um, yeah, it's this is this is a very very interesting upcoming summer for them for sure. To put a bow on it, really, I'm going to go through their in-house free agents, and I wanted some quick fire answers from you as to whether or not they will, can, should be back in New York next season. DeAndre Jordan. Uh, won't and shouldn't. What if they end up signing Duran and Kyrie? Does he come back for the room exception? I, yeah, I guess maybe if you get him on very, very little money, maybe that, that makes a little more sense. Um, but I'm, I'm going to stick with my answers. Lance Thomas is not really a free agent. He's just non-guaranteed. I think we're both in agreement that he'll be waived no matter what. Yeah, won't, won't and shouldn't. Mario Hazonia, non-bird won't. free agent, coming off a $6.5 million salary. Won't and shouldn't. All I'm saying is Hazonia at the five with Barrett, Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, and Alonzo Trier. That's the all green light lineup. <laughs> um, there's still a tiny little piece of me that believes in Mario Hazonia. Not nearly as much as... Dying uh, by the day, though. <laughs> Not nearly as much as 2018 summer, Andy. But uh, it, there, there's still a, a little bit of a flame flickering there. Emmanuel Moutier, restricted free agent. Uh, n- no. <laughs> really? I have zero confidence in that pick, but I hope you're correct. <laughs> you think they're going to bring him back? I. They seem to have just – well, one, if they end up striking out, I don't know that he's – Yeah, I guess if they strike his out. qualifying offer money, 5.8 I million. guess most of my answers are sort of uh, colored by the fact that I think they're going to get Durant and Kyrie. Well, and if they don't, you think Moutier comes back? Uh, Sure. <laughs> Luke Cornett, um, another restricted free agent. I will say same as Moutier. If they get the superstars, no. But if they don't, yeah. Here's an actual interesting one. Noah Vonley. Yeah, this is interesting because he um, he had kind of a breakout season for them. And he's a guy who might even make some sense with Durant and Kyrie because uh, he's he can – play the five. Um, he's, he's not a great rim protector, but I think he showed some chops defensively and he does some interesting things, especially now that he can sort of hit some threes too. So um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on this one. If, if they get both of those guys, I think there's a chance he comes back. If they don't get those guys, then I, I will say, yes, he does come back. I think he's a guy you want to look to bring back either way, just because he dabbled in a little bit of everything in offense for them. Was even yeah. running fast breaks at points. That's basically it for them. I, I think the real place to wrap this up is, worst case scenario, if they do strike out, are they going to save their powder and kick it into the 2020 offseason when that free agency class isn't great? Do you think that they'll go hard after the Tobias Harris, Kemba Walker tier? Yeah. Uh, or do you think that they'll... One of the things I've thought about is I wouldn't... Looking at it from a distance, if you don't get your primary targets, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with trying to throw a ton of money at a Malcolm Brogdon restricted free agent. But max him out. I don't think that's not a contract that's going to age poorly or look particularly great, but maybe try and force the Bucks into a decision. You get a guy who fits with whatever iteration of your roster there is. On the older side, of course, for mm-hmm. what they would be without stars, I'd rather see them make that type of a play then pivot into a first round or second round playoff team built around Tobias Harris or Kemba Walker, neither of whom I'm going to add do I think would necessarily pick the Knicks given the other options that they'll have out there. Um, I think if they do with, they should probably just bring back the the guys that are most interesting and, and continue to develop the young core. The Brogdon idea I think is an interesting one. What I think they will do is I think there's going to be some desperation um, this summer. And and the the fans, I think, are have been anticipating this summer so much for a while that maybe, maybe the front office thinks, dang, we didn't get those guys, but heck, we can get, we can get Kimball Walker in here. And you wind up with Kimball Walker on your team on a huge salary and you're just sort of um, competing for seventh or eighth in the East. I think I didn't think that's a very 
possible outcome for this summer for them. Just a, it's a pivotal summer, but it's also just so hard to peg. You can't look at anyone and say, because of what we know about what they need to do with Anthony Davis, if they got involved in those sweepstakes, you can't even just peg anyone as must keeps because I don't think there's anyone on this roster right now that's actually untouchable, even in a vacuum. Maybe if you miss on everybody, it's we're keeping number three and Kevin Knox, but beyond them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, there's really any no brainer keepers either. So, um, all or nothing summer for sure for the New York Knicks. But you heard it. Andy predicted that they are going to get at least Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and maybe also LeBron and AD and Damian Lillard. Yeah, too. they're all going to sign for $10 million a year. Even though they're not free agents. Yep, they're all just going <laughs> to leave their teams and take discounts. If you want to, uh, talk to talk to us about any of our picks that we've made, uh, whether it was this Knicks-related stuff or the finals, you can obviously find us on Twitter, as always, Dan is on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The uh, sponsor is at NBA underscore math. The podcast network, we've got a lot of handles we throw out now, at Blue Wire Pods. Um, as always, if you haven't rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, make sure you do that. And if you have, share it with your friends and family to brighten their days and their lives. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Udry. And Kyle Anderson.